crowdfunding is something very special for the independent film world. I think every filmmaker should crowdfund, and I think everybody should support other campaigns too as a means of learning and as a means of building a community. That opportunity is available to anybody who's willing to put in the time and learn how to get the word out about a project that you want to make. Hey everyone, welcome to Call Sheet, a podcast about film production and the boots on the ground work of Below the Line crew. If you work in physical production in any department, this show is for you. Thanks so much for joining us. Welcome back, folks, and thanks for being a part of the Call Sheet community. I'm your host, Bryce Sirier. My beloved co-host, Kiku Terasaki, is out today. We'll miss having her on the show and look forward to her return next week. I'd like to take a minute to remind you, if you have comments, questions, or topic ideas you'd like to share with us, go ahead and email us at callsheetpodcast at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at callsheetshow. We'd love to hear from you and sincerely hope these episodes are providing helpful and actionable insights into building your career as a filmmaker and crew member. Today on the show, we're going to take a little different tack and talk about crowdfunding for indie projects. We're going to cover some high-level guiding principles, as well as some practical to-dos for how to plan and execute a successful campaign. Our guest today is producer and director Marty Lang. His projects have played at various festivals, including Sundance this year, and garnered multiple awards and recognitions. He's currently an assistant professor of film and video production at the University of Memphis, and has taught film in some capacity at four other universities including the University of Central Arkansas, which you'll hear him reference during the interview about the crowdfunding campaign he was in the middle of leading at the time of this recording. Right now, Marty is in post-production on his second feature film, Stay With Me, to be released in 2021. This guy's been crowdfunding since the beginning of crowdfunding, so I know he'll have a lot of great stories and actionable insights to share. Welcome to the show, Marty. Hey, great to be here, Bryce. Thank you. Stoked to have you here, man. So I'd love to start by asking, which of your own projects have you funded via crowdfunding? Tell us a little about your experiences with those campaigns and where those projects ended up. So the first time I ever crowdfunded was way back in 2010. Kickstarter was so new at the time. Uh, it was for a feature film that I wrote called Rising Star. And the, the main lesson I took out of that first campaign was that having an established base of support and people that you can go to from the very beginning... I think it was the most important thing that we got out of that campaign. When I was in Connecticut, I, I helped run a workforce training program that ran for five years there, and we had 350 graduates of that program. So right on the first day of the campaign, we had 350 people who were filmmakers, who wanted to have a career in the business, and who I was connected with at a high level because I worked with them in an educational setting. So those were the people that really got on board with us first, and they, those people have continued to come back to us for further campaigns that I've run in the 10 years since. Um, so really, that was kind of the biggest lesson that I learned on the first campaign. And then as I've gone through, I've worked on other campaigns as a producer, worked on one as an actor. Um, and really, it's it's the same kind of thing. It's having an already established base of support beyond family and friends. You know, if there are people that are connected to the work that you're doing, that's your audience. And those are the people that you want to kind of bring along with you over the course of your career over multiple projects, whether or not you're crowdfunding. Those are the people that will get you through and that will help you make your films. I love that. Those are really the key principles, I think, that will guide this whole conversation. I'm glad you set the tone with that. I think it also illustrates crowdfunding is unique in that it's an intersection of so many skills. Filmmakers who crowdfund not only become better storytellers, they also become better business people, right? It's, it's PR, it's marketing, it's grassroots organization. Can you talk more about that and how it affects your view of crowdfunding? 
<laughs> yeah, it's it really it truly is a combination of skills. And to be quite honest, not all filmmakers have them. One thing that was really interesting for me when I got into crowdfunding, before I was a filmmaker, I was a print journalist. And I wrote for the New York Times, and I wrote for a couple other uh, papers on the East Coast. And the idea of written outreach to people was something that was very comfortable for me. Um, I had spent a lot of time doing it. I learned it when I was an undergrad. But it took a little bit of time for me to understand the marketing piece of it, the PR part was easy. Getting people's interest in something was great, but figuring out how to make the conversion, that was the piece that I didn't have. And it took a long time for me to learn ultimately that that's the goal. You know, like awareness for the sake of awareness doesn't get you where you need to go if you're in a crowdfunding campaign. You need the conversion. You need the person to come on board. So it really was kind of a growth process. But yeah, these, these are skills that are definitely applicable in other fields. And my hope is, you know, the next step beyond financing for one project is to become financially sustainable as a filmmaker. And that's what I think we're all working towards. And this applicability of these different fields, this is something that I hope, you know, is drawn into the education of crowdfunding so that filmmakers that learn how to do this become much more than filmmakers. They become business people. That's great. That conversion is what we're after, right? Conversion from interest into action. If nothing else, that's what I hope people get out of this episode, that they feel equipped to get out there, run a successful campaign, and convert interest in their project into support, into contributions. And we're going to get into all of that, how to make that happen. So Marty, let's get into the nitty gritty of it. For our listeners, could you lay out what platforms are available and why do you see them as effective tools for filmmakers to help get their projects made? Yeah, there's pretty much four major players, I think, right now in the media crowdfunding space. Um, you've heard of Kickstarter. That's sort of the most ubiquitous out of the four of them. Indiegogo is another one that's very popular in the film space. Um, a new one that I'm actually really fond of uh, is called Seed and Spark. They're a little bit newer than the first two, and they're actually the portal that provides the most in-person assistance um, for folks that are crowdfunding with them, which I think is really important given how new this whole world is. Um, and then GoFundMe uh, is actually uh, a common option for folks who want to raise money for independent film projects. So those are really kind of the four big guns right now. I followed your most recent crowdfunding campaign for your second feature, Stay With Me. You led a super interesting collaboration with your former students back at uh, the University of Central Arkansas. Can you tell us more about that project and how you mounted that campaign? Yeah, so uh, last summer, um, I was the co-writer and director of a feature film that shot in Los Angeles called Stay With Me. Uh, it's a drama uh, about mental health advocacy. And when we were finished, uh, I took the film with me to Arkansas. And since I've been working as a professor this year, I've been doing two things. I've been working on the, the picture edit in Arkansas. And the other thing I've been doing is building up the lead up to an actual crowdfunding campaign that would be run by one of my classes. Uh, we have a class this semester I'm teaching called Crowdfunding and Audience Development. And it's the first semester long film crowdfunding class that's ever been offered at a U.S. university. So it's something I'm really, really proud of. And what we've been doing is uh, from the beginning of the class in January, I've been teaching these students what crowdfunding campaigns are, what the basic mechanics are of running a campaign, and basically prepping them to get to the point where they could run part of a campaign themselves. And what we're doing right now is we're actually in the middle of a one-month crowdfunding campaign on Seed and Spark, and we're trying to raise $14,000 for the rest of post-production of Stay With Me. 
and the students are responsible for all the non-financial parts of the campaign. So all the video production for backer updates, all the social media promotion, all the analytics uh, analysis, you know, all the public relations, all the outreach. These are things that every campaign has to have. And the students are getting an opportunity to work in real time on a campaign without the pressure of having to raise the money themselves. That was something that I think was really important. You know, for a first exposure to this kind of world, they're in the middle of a campaign, they're working, they know the deadlines, but they're not responsible for actually coming up with all the money for it. So I think it really gives them a good kind of first taste into what crowdfunding is like. And then when they have their own projects after they're done with the class, they'll be able to go into a campaign a lot better prepared. That's great, man. Sounds like an incredible course. So how can a filmmaker decide if crowdfunding is right for them and their project? And then second, what does a filmmaker need to make sure they understand before they commit to crowdfunding? Well, if you're willing to put in the work, I think any filmmaker is right for crowdfunding. Any project is right for crowdfunding. The important thing is that you really nail down what your project is and who are the audiences that will be supportive of it. If you can figure that out, that really makes the decision for you. And it could be anything. I had produced a web series about five years ago. We had run a Kickstarter campaign for it. And it was a really strange project. It was a comedy, thriller, science fiction, horror. You couldn't really put a real stamp on what it was. So what we did was, you know, we ended up going to Reddit and looking through like science fiction subreddits. And we found some really, you know, really weird subreddits of people that followed really bizarre films. And we ended up finding people who were interested in that kind of filmmaking, that kind of multi-genre, can't put your finger down on it type of thing. And that ultimately became where we found a lot of people for our audience. Yeah. You know, as far as learning what you need to understand before committing, you need to know that crowdfunding is a full-time job. I think that's the most important thing that you need to understand, you know, beforehand. When we were running the Rising Star campaign, we were easily working eight to 10 hours a day reaching out to people, sending emails, trying to find press opportunities and stuff like that. And it's, you know, thankfully it's it's for a short period of time, but it's for a very intense period of time. So I think if you think of it almost as another production, in addition to the project itself that you want to make, if you have that understanding that it's going to be short-term, extremely intensive work, that's a real benefit. I think that's something that you really need to know before you get involved in it. So what's step one after you decide to plan a crowdfunding campaign? What kind of to-do list and timeline should be starting to form as you begin the prep process? In general, you know, the more time you have to prepare for a campaign, the more successful it's going to be. Like for this campaign, for Stay With Me, I started preparing it back in November. Um, and I started putting out lists of emails of folks who I thought might be interested in doing it. I broke them up into groups. So, you know, supporters of mine from Rising Star made up one set of emails, and that was about 170 people. People who were involved in um, a crowdfunding event that we had at the University of Central Arkansas in March became another email list that was 204 new emails and really sort of putting together specific email lists of people who you think might be interested in supporting, being as specific as you can in how you organize them, because then you can make targeted asks out of all those folks. You know, you can have your friends and family list, and that's definitely one group. The more of that that you can do in advance of beginning the campaign, I think that's, that's the most important first step for getting a campaign ready to go. After that, you know, if you can prep any kind of press, any kind of PR, that's fantastic. 
anyone who is a, a thought leader in a particular area uh, that you can get on board is something that would be great. Like for uh, for the Stay With Me campaign, I spent a lot of time working with Mark Duplass, the actor and filmmaker. He runs uh, the show Room 104 on HBO. And I had talked with him for a long time. Like, you know, do you think it might be possible for you to promote us on social media once we get going? And he was kind enough to do that. He sent out a tweet to 420,000 people two days ago. But that took a long time to get that set up. So knowing that you're looking at it as a longer term thing, even if you don't have access to celebrities, which I know a lot of folks don't, taking that time ahead of time and really being specific about who your supporters are before the first day, that's really the biggest thing. What kind of team should the filmmaker be building around themselves as they gear up for the campaign during prep and also especially once the campaign is launched and up and running? Well, in a perfect world, the, uh, the general answer is as big a team as possible. Seaton Spark has a great quote, friends don't let friends crowdfund alone. If you can get friends to come on board to help out, if you can get fellow filmmakers on the project to come on board, that's great. In our case, for Stay With Me, I've been fortunate enough to bring on 16 film students from the University of Central Arkansas, you know, that are interested in crowdfunding because they took this class. We have a team right now of 29 people. And right now we need every one of those 29 people in terms of what their particular jobs are. You know, that's going to depend, of course, on what the campaign is and what the strengths are of different folks. What we're doing for Stay With Me is the class is handling video production for our backer updates. They're handling public relations to media outlets. They're handling outreach to affinity organizations that have a similar mission to what we do. They're also responsible for creating the social media pages uh, on the different networks. And they're also responsible for analytics. They're looking at what the engagement is for different things that we send out and then helping us adjust our strategy based on how effective or not effective that social media outreach is. So we've had some really interesting sort of data points come up uh, throughout this campaign. One great example is that social media hasn't been that effective in bringing financial contributions, but direct emails to people have been very effective. So we learned that in the first week and then we shifted. So now more of the strategy is on sending out direct emails to folks instead of putting up social media posts that are sort of like the old the spray and pray method where you just put the word out to everybody and hope you get people involved. Uh, we're doing a much more direct approach now, and that's because of the work that the analytics team is doing. They were able to find that out. Um, so it's, you know, it's all different things. Um, and of course, everybody that's on board, all their friends and family, the hope is that these people will contact the, the folks that they know and love and that hopefully they'll be able to get involved in the campaign in some way as well. That extends your reach and it makes you kind of a bigger core of people than you would be if you were less people. So that's kind of a long answer for that. When you're doing direct emails, do you use a service like MailChimp or is it just, you know, a Gmail account? You know, that's that's a lot of data. Email addresses, phone numbers, social media handles. What are your methods for managing all that communication? So really your ultimate goal is to get their personal email. Um, studies have shown that the, the highest amount of conversions come from direct emails as opposed to any type of social media engagement. So anytime you're on social media and you're interacting with someone, the goal should be for you to somehow get their email. And, and usually in the course of a campaign, it's getting them to either follow it or to back it. And then you'll get that information as a result of that uh, conversion. And what I do is I have emails set up in Google Sheets and I have them listed out according to affinity groups. 
So, you know, folks that I knew when I was working in Connecticut, folks that I knew when I was working at Chapman, folks here in Arkansas who attended the Creative Sustainability Summit that Seed and Spark hosted here on March 1st. Through that, I'm able to put together targeted group emails of about 100 to 200 people, as opposed to sending out one blast email to 1,200 people. I have many friends who work with MailChimp uh, and other uh, similar programs for email management, and they're extremely effective. Um, I am still sort of old school, uh, where I try to contact people one at a time. Uh, I find that that outreach works a little bit better than the um, kind of the group email stuff. So this system works for me, uh, but there's certainly, you know, there's there's no one way to do it. But ultimately, you know, all your social media information, all your outreach on social media is sort of a means to an end. And once you can get their personal email, that's where you want to focus your energy to try to contact them. Gotcha. No, that's great insight. The, there's nothing that can replace the personal touch of a direct email. I think that's a, an awesome takeaway. Let's talk about the pitch video. As many people know, it's standard practice to create a pitch video to accompany your campaign. It explains a little bit about you and your team, your project, and specifically what you're raising funds for. From your experience, Marty, what makes an effective pitch video? Well, the first thing is that it's short. If a pitch video goes over two minutes, I think you should run into the, the danger of somebody losing focus in it and moving on to something else. Anywhere underneath two minutes, and if it's at 90 seconds, I think it's perfect. If it's able to show up front what the project is and what the what the tone and style of the project is, I think that's something that's very effective. In our case, we were, you know, since we're a post-production campaign, we already have the film shot. So we have the benefit of actually using footage from the movie to show people what it'll look like. But you don't necessarily have to rely on that. If you're if you're running a production campaign for a film that doesn't exist yet. You can create content that's in the tone and style of what your film will be. And I think that's every bit as effective. Any interesting aspect of the campaign that's unusual for a crowdfunding campaign, you know, if it's a student film project, if it's a campaign that's being run by film students, in our case, if it's a particular topic that ties in closely to what's going on in the world, I think that's something that's important. The Stay With Me campaign is about mental health advocacy, so we actually included statistics about how, uh, how much more prevalent mental illness is among young people. That's something that we had in there. Those are kind of the things to think about. You know, again, there really is no, no one way to make a pitch video. But I think if it's engaging, if it's shortened to the point, and if it really shows the, the tone and style of what your finished project is going to be, I think that makes a really effective pitch video. How should filmmakers approach the ask itself? Do you state the fundraising goal of the campaign in the pitch video? And, and what should that sound like, feel like? You know, the, the important thing of any campaign is that you be as specific as possible as for what your fundraising will be for. So in our case, our ask was for financial contributions to help with post-production. So that would mean finishing our picture edit, going through our sound work, bringing on a composer, our visual effects person, our color correction person, and then deliverables, as well as fees to pay the, uh, the LLC and the taxes that we have to pay on the business that we have for the movie. So we're very specific about what that money will go towards, and we mention it in the pitch video. Uh, and then as far as you know, the ask itself, it's important, I think, to be humble. I think it's important to be welcoming. You know, one thing that Seed and Spark talks a lot about is that the way that you make the ask is important. It's not asking for money to finish a movie. 
It's about asking for your support by giving a contribution. So there's a little bit of a different connotation in that as opposed to we need money. And that's something that's been learned over time now that we have more crowdfunding campaigns to analyze. That connotation you know, of, of supporting a campaign, the contribution, feels a little bit more like something you would hear out of NPR or out of public television as opposed to the uh, the independent filmmaker that's out trying to hustle up you know money and make a film by begging everybody that he knows for five dollars that's really an important thing to keep in mind along that same line of the psychology of the solicitation for that kind of participation what are some important do's and don'ts when it comes to designing the incentives if you could first define those incentives the different levels of contributions and how that can tie into the theme tone and style of the film itself and what are some important things to keep in mind to make that an engaging part of the campaign? Right. Um, so incentives are really the, the great opportunity that a filmmaker has to kind of bring people into the campaign by offering something in exchange for financial contributions. You know, the more that you can tie your incentives into the content of the movie or something relating to the campaign, I think the more successful it becomes. One of the things that we're doing uh, that's kind of neat with uh, with the Stay With Me campaign is that we're offering a masterclass for filmmaking. Because we're a filmmaking class that's involved in this campaign, I'm offering up an hour of my time to talk with folks about anything related to filmmaking that they want in exchange for a $100 contribution. And then, you know, the other thing that you have an opportunity to do too is if there's other media that you've created that's somehow related to the thing that you want to make. You have an opportunity to offer that media up to other people. Uh, I made a four-minute short when I was at Cal State Northridge for one of my grad classes, and that's one of the incentives that I'm giving to people if they if they pledge fifteen dollars. And it's a drama, and it ties in a little bit to what the what the topic of this film is. But it's something visual that you can show people. Um, you know, as far as do's and don'ts, I, I think the most important thing that you should be thinking about when you're making the incentives is the way that you're going to deliver them to people. One thing that I didn't realize when we were doing the Rising Star campaign was that we were offering all kinds of cool uh, incentives, you know, DVDs of the movie, signed screenplays, you know, things like that. But what I didn't realize was that when the campaign was done, I had to pay for the postage to get everything to those people. And that took a little chunk out of the money that we had made that could have gone to other things. So for this one, for the Stay With Me campaign, every incentive that we have is digital because that way we don't lose any money in the delivery of those items to the people who get them as a result of their contributions. So that's something that's really important. I actually have a picture of the post office receipt that I had when I sent out all the DVDs and the receipt was taller than I was and I'm six feet, eight inches tall. Wow. No, I think that's incredible advice uh, to keep in mind. The feasibility of actually delivering the incentive once the campaign has wrapped. That's great. Once launched, let's talk about keeping the energy and engagement surrounding a campaign active and, and interesting. Give us an overview of the important work of maintaining interest and what are the tools at a filmmaker's disposal to do that? 
update emails over the course of a campaign is something that's a really strong way to keep engagement and energy high. You know, you can let people know where you currently are in the campaign percentage-wise, how much you've raised. If there's any particular people that have joined the team that are really interesting, that's a, a great way to uh, to let people know about that. Like for the Stay With Me campaign, when Mark Duplass sent his email out on Twitter at the beginning of the week, I immediately sent out a backer update to everybody with a screenshot of that tweet. That really gets people excited. There's also things that you can plan for that can potentially help with engagement as well. In the work that you do before the campaign starts, if you find someone who's interested in giving a high backer dollar amount, say $500 or $1,000, you might be able to use that and say, listen, we don't want you to donate that right off the bat. If you can hold that until the third week, that would be amazing because then we could run a matching funds campaign. We could say for this week, we have a backer who's promised to give up to $1,000. They would match all backers up to $1,000. So that potentially could be an additional bit of momentum that you can use to get more people on board, you know, in one particular week over the course of the campaign. So it's really thinking ahead of time as much as possible, planning out as much as possible based on the work that you do before the campaign. That's really the key thing, I think. You know, the more time you put into things on the front end, and the more opportunities that you create that can be laid out on day one when the campaign starts, I think the better you're going to be. Because once the campaign starts, there really is, there's a lot to do. And, you know, looking for opportunities like that, that time isn't always the best time to do that because of the amount of other things that you're worried about. Um, so, you know, prep work and all things, I would say. I want to circle back to finding an audience. What are the communities, both digital and physical, that you're trying to tap into? And where do you even start looking for those? Well, again, that's that's specific to what the content of the film is. And it's also specific to the way that you're running the campaign. So for Stay With Me, in our PR and our outreach, we've been looking at organizations, local, regional, and national, that deal with mental health, that deal with suicide prevention, that deal with mental health advocacy. So like the, the National Association for Mental Illness, NAMI, that's an, a national organization. We've talked with a number of their uh, local branches so far. We're trying to set up something on a national level. Um, we're looking at musicians who are mental health advocates for some interesting reason. We've had a lot of interest from musicians over the course of this campaign. Um, so those are people that we're trying to connect with. From the promotional standpoint, you always want to look at stuff locally first. Any kind of arts radio show or newspaper or blog or podcast, those are really good. We, we just connected today with uh, Arkansas PBS. Uh, we're going to be doing an interview with them next week uh, as a result of the outreach that our students have done. You know, you also want to think of the, the process of how the campaign is being run. So for us, the fact that we have film students that are running this campaign that opens us up to interesting ways to reach out to, you know, organizations like the Chronicle for Higher Education. That could be a possible outlet that could create awareness of the project. And that has nothing to do with the content of the movie. It has more to do with, you know, the way that the campaign is running. So, you know, it's always important to remember this when you're thinking about reaching out and thinking about who would be interested in the film. There's always two stories that you want to be cognizant of. The first one is the story of your project, right? The actual story of your film or your TV show. And the other one is the story of how that project is made. You can get an equal amount of opportunities looking at either one of those in terms of folks who would be interested in spreading awareness of how the campaign is going. 
Super smart. I love those two points, two stories, the content of the project itself, and then also the story of how the project is being made. I think that's a really solid framework to, to kind of plan the campaign itself, right? You can use that as a, a springboard for the types of engagement that you're, you're trying to seek. That's awesome. Marty, this has been such an amazing conversation, dude. It's now time for our Abby Singer segment. It's our second to last thing we do before we say goodbye. Our guests can share a story or some kind of lessons learned from the front lines of their work. Do you have anything you'd like to, to share with us today? A pretty good story uh, about something I learned in the world of crowdfunding. So not exactly a, a set story, but I think it's uh, I think it's pretty poignant to what we've been talking about today. Um, my two of my best friends uh, worked together to make a web series a number of years ago in Connecticut called Celine Hollow. And part of what they did was they crowdfunded on Kickstarter. Uh, they wanted to raise about $8,000 so that they could pay for crew and cast and food and stuff like that. And as the campaign went on, they found that they were having trouble kind of expanding their backer base beyond their friends and family. And that's a really common challenge, you know, uh, for folks that are crowdfunding for the first time. So we were trying to brainstorm for different ways that we could kind of reach and broaden out the the pool of people that would be interested in joining the team for the film. And Damien, uh, one of the two guys, is my best friend from high school. And we decided that one night we were going to have a -a tweet-a-thon where we would post embarrassing videos about things that happened to us when we were in high school. And we thought that that might be kind of a funny thing and, you know, might get some folks involved. Well, it turned out that we ended up raising about $500 that night because of those videos. And it was the most popular video creation event that we had over the course of the campaign. Uh, And it taught me a really important lesson. You know, when, when you think about crowdfunding a project, when you think about getting a project into the world, you always think that the project itself is going to be entertaining, right? Because, I mean, that's the reason you want to make it. But what people really don't realize is that backers become interested in projects when the campaigns themselves are entertaining as well. So that's something I really took to heart as I went forward uh, to really make sure that there were a a lot of opportunities for engagement in campaigns, you know, whether it's whether it's funny or whether it's serious or whether it's community based. um, You always want to make sure that the campaign uh, itself is an entertainment vehicle as well as the content that you're producing. Amazing. Man, this this conversation's been chock full of wisdom and advice. I can't thank you enough, Marty. I'll just shout out real quick for anyone that wants to reach out to Marty to ask him other crowdfunding or film-related questions. We've just barely scratched the surface here. The best way to reach him is going to be on Twitter. His handle is at Marty underscore Lang. Go ahead and hit this guy up. Show him some love. I know he'd love to hear from you. Once again, that's at Marty underscore Lang on Twitter. So Marty, as a parting thought, any other final encouragement that you'd like to give our listeners about crowdfunding and, and filmmaking in general? Well, I can definitely tell people that crowdfunding is the way to start a career. When I first got into crowdfunding, it helped me make the first project that I really felt passionate about and that I really thought should be in my own voice. All of the other opportunities I've gotten in my career have come from that. That opportunity is available to anybody who's willing to put in the time and learn how to get the word out about a project that you want to make. So my advice is to to really give crowdfunding a strong look. I think every filmmaker should crowdfund. I think everybody should learn how to do this. And I think everybody should support other campaigns too as a means of learning and as a means of building a community. Crowdfunding is something very special for the independent film world. And I think if you really take a look at it and really put the time in, it can be something that can really change your life. 
You heard it, folks. That was Marty Lang. Thank you so much, Marty, for joining us. Really appreciate it and look forward to having you on the show again soon. Thanks, man. It's really great to be a part of this. And that's Taillights on another episode of Call Sheet. This show is brought to you by Elgin Entertainment. It is produced and hosted by Kiku Terasaki and me, Bryce Sirier, with support from our associate producer, Nathaniel Duber. I'm also the editor of the show, and our theme music is by Robert Mai. Our guest today was Marty Lang. We talked about how to plan and execute a successful crowdfunding campaign for indie films and passion projects. Thanks again, listeners, for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode and keep coming back for more. Now, a reminder, if you'd be so kind, please share the show with a friend or a colleague and take a minute to leave us a review in whatever podcast app you use. We really appreciate your feedback and support. It helps us grow the show and improve the way that we can serve you. On that note, if you want to suggest a topic that you'd like to hear discussed on a future episode, please send it in. You can email us at callsheetpodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at callsheetshow. You should also check out our website for the latest content and news. That's callsheetshow.com. There are links to all of that and more in this episode's show notes, so be sure to check those out. Remember to stay tuned for new episodes of Call Sheet every Thursday morning. And in the meantime, folks, good luck and go make it happen.